welcome back to Inside Voices, a teacher podcast by teachers for teachers, where we discuss all things education. I'm your host, Laura. And I'm David. And remember that in here, we use our Inside Voices. On this week's episode, we are going to be talking all about neurodivergent learners and how we support them in the classroom. And we have got a very special guest joining us in just a little bit. But to open up the conversation, firstly, uh, how do you support neurodivergent learners in your classroom? So I really don't feel like an expert in this, to be honest. Um, we get a lot of training on it at school, obviously. Um, but still, there's so many nuances to the to the subject that we're talking about. Yeah. That I feel um, not underqualified, but not an expert in the in the in the uh, and what am I trying to say? <laughs> expert in the field. field. Yeah. <laughs> right. Wait, wait till I wipe my nose. Okay. <laughs> 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 I really don't feel like an expert in the field, but some of the things I've picked up along the way, and some things that really work for me, if it was top of the list. But look, there's there's lots lots of things I've put in place in my class. For example, I set people near the board that need to yeah. sit near the board. I give extra time and extra support with classroom assistance and things like that to people that need that. Sometimes I just send children on a walk if they need to go yeah. it, and they don't know or, or whatever it is, send them to the office, that kind of thing. One thing that we've spoken about before and that we both love and I really feel the benefit of it is brain breaks. Yeah. Um, we spoke about the level of um, attention span and how that's maybe been reduced by technology and things as well. And along a task you really only have about 40 minutes mm -hmm. of attention uh, of a child yeah i think that's reduced now i don't know that 40 minutes is is still the case but anyway and what we do is we break up that uh two hour block in the middle of the day or at the end of the day with some brain breaks movement breaks work really well mm -hmm. for me in my class i think they work best because it gets a little bit of energy out and then they can settle back down to task yeah. movement is really important in general but also, yeah. you're right, with supporting the neurodivergent learners in your classroom, movement is so important. 100%. Even just for for your learning aspect, your learning and teaching aspect, you know, the way that they're thinking and the way they're operating, sometimes movement is how they're going to learn mm -hmm. as well. Obviously, you're going to have a whole range of different learners in your classroom, but I think it's really important, especially with neurodivergent learners, you have to have achievable and goals that they can they can visualize you okay. know i'm not saying you don't need to lower your expectations of course not it's not that but it is being able to sit down you know the kind of smart goals sort of mm -hmm. idea so you've got your it's s-m-a-r-t it's another acronym oh my goodness sorry <laughs> <laughs> so it's specific measurable attain i think it's attainable mm -hmm. um relatable and timely Wow. Does that smell smart? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Does that even smell smart? Smart. <laughs> it's smart goals. But the smart goals are really quite important for everyone, but especially those neurodivergent learners, that, you know, you're not going to make a goal that's, it's a huge goal mm -hmm. and you don't see any progress towards it until the end of the year. Yep. You pick achievable, measurable goals that aren't, you know, seven months down the line. Sure. They could be next week. They could be two weeks. They could be next month. You know, they are something that the students then regularly see themselves achieving. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't need to be academic. It doesn't have to be an academic goal. It can be any sort of goal okay. that you work towards. And also, like, just being aware of the environment that you're in and how you can yeah, tweak that or change that. Year, to, yeah, just to, to... It's things you wouldn't... 
even think about. So the environment of, of a learner is really important, I think. And it's one thing that we've focused on quite a lot this year. It's not something we always take it into consideration when you're yeah, setting up course, your class. Yeah. But what we've done this year, we've been using something called the Circle Framework, which uses a bunch of questions and you grade your class or you grade certain things uh, based on a specific learner yeah. in your class. So we choose one and then you you take it for their needs um, and things like that. So it's worked really well for me because I've then been able to pos position things in my class. Mm -hmm. We're quite restricted because we're open plan. Um, you've got a good yeah. situation upstairs with the double bass, but we I don't have any corners in my room. You no, know, all the corners are either a, a fire exit or into another yeah. class or whatever cloakroom. So I've had to kind of really think about this year how I'm using space. And one of the ways we've done this is in our corridor, um, we've got kind of booths mm -hmm. um, that are breakout booths that you can, we're in a new build, so we've got the benefit of that, that you can go in and send the children in, they can work in those. And we've converted kind of an area around one of those booths mm -hmm. to be not a cam corner, but a cam area. Yeah, And it's just a place that they can go, we've set, it doesn't get used all the time. In fact, it, it's quite rare that it does get used. But when it does get used, it's really helpful for children that just need a break out of class. Yeah, just that space that doesn't yeah. feel like a traditional school space. Yeah, I think they just need... A, a, a lot of the children that I work with or have worked with in the past just need a five minutes, mm -hmm. just need a de-escalation, just need something yep. to... And it's very often after these times like lunch and break and things like that that they come in and they need that time just to reset and mm -hmm. get back into the routine of class. Doesn't get used all the time, gets used very rarely, but it has been the helpful. The option is important, but that, that framework 100%. is really useful as well because it made me think of things that tr I probably hadn't really considered. Yeah. So one of them was um, when you were looking at your board, is there anything really close to your board that could be potentially mm. distracting? And it wasn't really something I had... Like thought of but you know like, like the barber you you've got <laughs> my barbie my barbie at the side no but do you have like class rules for example like right next to your board that a student could then be focused on reading that instead of what you're talking about mm. do, you, like, do you have something within the proximity that is making them think or wonder or it doesn't necessarily need to be something that is you know huge and bright and colorful but yeah. is there something on that area where you want them focused on the board and you and their attention on you is there something in there that's taking the attention away and not intentionally? Um, yeah, I'm just well. sitting like thinking about my class. Like, is yeah. there anything? I think there <laughs> is. Because I have to put, you know, above my board is one of the places that I can put work. Put things, yeah. But if it's far enough away, then it's yeah. okay. It's just if it's in that kind of direct Interesting. line. Okay. But also things, when you're thinking about it, like where the child is, is sitting. So someone once told me as well, go and sit in all of the seats in your classroom and just seeing, I did this a few weeks ago, I sat down and I was like, whoa, this is not a seat that you can really properly just be focused on what I need to be focused on, which is the front of the room. Like yeah. I I might want to face this way, I might want to face that way, I can look around, I can, you know, the, the mm -hmm. way my seat is angled, I'm not actually facing the front. So I just get, it's really straightforward, it's really simple, I just get everyone to turn their chairs so that they're not twisting and turning, yeah. but also... Being aware of the environment comes from also understanding how children feel in that environment. So mm -hmm. I'll never force children to come sit on the carpet. Quite often as a movement break, we'll go, yeah. you know, transition between carpet and chairs and just gets them up and moving. You know, sometimes you'll say, right, when you're walking to your chairs this time, you're going to hop or you're going to just, just something, <laughs> do you know, like really yeah. straightforward, just a quick movement. Yeah. You're going to do but, the worm back yeah. in your chairs. <laughs> Can you imagine? Nothing that complex. <laughs> but you're not going to force a child to come and sit on the carpet and sit, you know, mm -hmm. legs in a basket. You're going to sit that traditional when I was at school. 
how you sit on the carpet, you sit legs in a basket, you sit and you, your hands are in your lap yeah. and they're on your knees and you're nowhere near anyone and you've got your carpet spot. Like when I was in school, we had carpet spots. So we sat wow. in the same spot all the time. And I just think that's... Sometimes I think oh. I could be doing with that though. <laughs> yeah, but it's so streamlined. It is. It, it's like children are also friends with everybody, I find. Yeah. And they might fall out one day, okay. But especially for the, your neurodivergent learners, you might find they sit in the same spot all the time. But if that's a natural mm-hmm. thing to do, then that's fine. But also, if you feel more comfortable in your chair, then that's also fine. Like I, I don't have a problem with that, whatever is the best way for you, because it would be wrong for me to sit and say, the environment you're working in is the environment I've selected and that's it, mm-hmm. because I don't see the environment in the same way as them. And I think that's important to to keep in mind. I know we've had conversations before in terms of behaviour management, talking about the kind of shift between traditional behaviour management. Yeah. When we were at school, it was very, you know, authoritarian. It was very, you will just listen to me. You will do what I ask. Whereas now, the kind of restorative approaches. And I know there's a lot of people out there who don't like the kind of restorative practices. There's a lot of people who do support it. But I think something we're better at now is we're far more aware of neurodivergent learners and their needs. Yeah, and I think we're getting better more and more generally in society of understanding these as well. Um, because actually it's quite a large percent of the population, yeah. isn't it? There's th- I don't know exact numbers, but maybe you can fill so us there's in. There's 37,000 children in Scottish schools that have ADHD. So that's not even considering any other neurodivergent no. learners. That's just focused on ADHD. And I was looking at the stats. Now, that's that's relatively recently done. Okay. Um, relatively kind of recently surveyed information. I think it's only about a year old. So it is pretty up to date. But I would say that that number's it's, it's been increasing at a, a kind of steeper rate over the last few years. You get a lot of people who will kind of argue that, but we also have to remember when I was a child, the science wasn't really there behind it. The okay. understanding, the empathy wasn't really there. It was just, you know, that child maybe can't sit still. Yeah. And that was just it. Yeah. Whereas now we're obviously far more understanding of it yeah. and we can see things in a completely different light. I think that as an educator is extremely beneficial Yeah. to be able to, I know you can't put yourself exactly into someone's shoes, but at least to be able to have that bit of empathy Yeah. is really important. Yeah, we were discussing this recently that um, with some of the uh, teachers that we know and that they were saying that maybe years ago, a child with ASD or, or whatever would have just been deemed as cheeky. Yeah. But yeah. actually they were just being literal. Yeah. And just saying what it is that they, <clears throat> excuse me, what it is that they felt in that moment. Not that they were being cheeky, but that's just, mm-hmm. you know, the literal aspect yeah. of their character. And, you know, it's good to have the understanding of the children in front of you in your class because then you can start to tailor things. Mm-hmm. Again, not like what you said, you don't lower your standards, um, but you adjust your provision, I think, yeah, for absolutely. these learners because, you know, it, it's like that. Uh, did you ever see that image? used to do the rounds online and it was like and a person sitting on an exam and it was a bunch of animals in front of them like an elephant a giraffe and a monkey and a fish and all that and the exam question was right go climb the tree mm-hmm. you know and the monkey was like straight up there and the they elephant and the giraffe and yeah. the fish was like well I can't do that uh-huh. or whatever and it gives the idea of like every child is different yeah. and every child like the kind of difference between equality and equity yeah I suppose like equality that is again another one that does the rounds that image where they're trying to watch a football game for offense. <laughs> yeah, that was that always one. me. Yeah. I can't see. <laughs> and 
there's equality, which is everyone being given the same, and there's still this one person who's like, I can't see, like they're all standing on the box, and there's still one person who's yeah. like, I can't see, and then there's the equity where everyone's given the height of box that they actually need to be able to see the football game, and that's completely true, especially when we're thinking about the range of needs you can have in a class. You can mm-hmm. have to up to 33 if you're in the upper stages I in know. your class. That's a lot of different children and different learners, different types of learners in front of you. So having, and I actually think it's something we could learn from children because children in a class setting have so much understanding and yeah. empathy and time, just get on and with it, don't they? time and patience for the, the learners mm-hmm. that are in the class that sometimes I think us as teachers could could learn a lesson from them because it is very easy as a teacher to just become frustrated in a situation. Mm-hmm. But you need to regulate your emotions before you can try to help regulate yeah, I, anybody else's. I think we're going to get on this with when our guest comes. But, you know, having more inclusion, which is our policy in Scotland, um, comes with challenges. Like, yep. like, there's no point in sugarcoating it. It does come with challenges. Of course. Because... There's only one of you. There's only one of you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what are those challenges that you see... Apart from obviously there only being one of you, but what are those challenges? I, another one I would see is that maybe a lack of training in some cases yeah. that um, people need to be supported. If there are going to be a much wider range of learners in front of you, we obviously need to be supported in that training yep. to know how to deal and understand. And I think that's slowly been dripped through. Is there any other challenges that you see that are kind of... I think, you know, that battle between curriculum and the whole kind of class school experience that I don't know if I'm explaining that the best way, but the whole idea of here's your curriculum in front of you. You've got to deliver this curriculum right. to these children. And obviously the whole point of a school is you get them from A to B. Like that's what so, actually so I had. So the curriculum is linear, but like yeah, the learners in front of yeah, you are not. are not. And I, I had actually a high school teacher say to me once, this was at uni, and they said, you know, primary school teachers get them from A to B and then secondary school teachers get them through the rest of the alphabet. I was like, <laughs> that was a brave thing to say in front of a whole room of primary school teachers, but okay. Rude. <laughs> Rude. But anyway, you know, we're, that's... None of our high school teacher listeners would say that. No, they would not. <laughs> our traditional idea of school and many people's traditional idea of school is you go in, you learn, and I think... A lot of people's experience you learn by you sit at your desk, you sit, you listen, you do your jotter work, you close your jotter, that's it, go, mm-hmm. off you go. Whereas it's just not like that now, but I think the expectation of getting through the curriculum still is, mm. if that makes sense. So you're still expected to deliver this curriculum. However, you're now expected to deliver this curriculum in 40 different ways yeah, and, okay. you know, through all of these things. But how you can possibly do that with... 33 children, 30 yep. children, 27 children, that's still a lot of children, yep. deliver that curriculum in a way that's engaging for every single person, that meets Accessible the needs of every single person. Yeah. That's, that's really difficult. Yeah. And there's no point, like you said, in sugarcoating that. That's really, really hard. Yeah, I agree. And you can adapt the environment, but something has to give at that point. Mm. And it shouldn't be a learner's well-being that gives, and it shouldn't be a learner's experience and feelings towards school because the last thing you want is someone to resent school because mm-hmm. they've been forced to learn a certain way that just doesn't work for them yeah and I think you also like you said the training the confidence levels you end up doubting yourself completely mm-hmm. because it's really hard it's easy to say put yourself in their shoes but I'm not in their shoes and I don't know how they feel yeah and sometimes with neurodivergent learners that is the barrier is understanding yeah. how they feel or getting from them how they feel 100 yeah. percent. because that can be a difficult 
part of that. And, you know, neurodivergent learners have so many strengths and so many things that we could we need to learn from them. Yep. But it can be really difficult yeah. to do. No, I fully agree. And I think that that is one of the challenges that we're going to have to, you know, in the next couple of years, be focused on working on and, and yeah. not at just a school level, but a kind of government level of how do we actually support yeah. fully these learners? Because teachers can do all the, you know, teachers can do the best job they want, but without the resources yeah. um, with them, it is really hard to support. And it's not just different. Like, No, it's not. It's You it's, can write down everything you want time and it's support staff and it's you know resources and all of these things in an ideal world you would you would have um but even without even the best teachers would struggle mm-hmm. to support 33 different people yeah um with 33 different needs yeah you know, in and front in- of inclusion them. is a big word mm-hmm. but actually breaking that down i think it needs to be broken down more like we always hear about inclusion but mm-hmm. what does true inclusion actually look like i saw someone share an article that said um there was a school somewhere i can't remember i think it was down in england and they were saying that they were actually just excluding children Mm. to try and get their inclusion rates up which obviously is completely wrong but that's not that's not inclusion so they were so say i think in england they're maybe measured on how often these children are maybe in a a kind of standard class like in a a, a class (laughs) Excuse me. Setting, but these children were just getting excluded instead of being part of the class. So their numbers weren't getting added, so basically. Yeah, 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 their yeah, numbers were skewed. And okay. obviously that is not inclusion. Like no. that's that's not inclusion. But I do also think there's kind of a question mark over what does inclusion actually look like? Yep. Because it is something that has just been you need to be promoting inclusion and include but how do you do that? Because just putting a child into a class that they're not ready to be in isn't inclusion. No. And I can I can't as a teacher really do a whole bunch about that because I have, like you said, 30 other kids in the class. Yeah, exactly. And inclusion isn't just put somebody in the class and hope for the best. That's yeah. not what it is, but that's where you're saying about kind of that govern, government level. Yeah, there maybe needs to be more. And I think um, we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago, or a couple of episodes ago, that often the good graces of a teacher are used as as currency yeah. for those kind of things I can't remember what we were talking about that, in that I think we were talking about workload, workload and, and things. just saying yeah I'll do that I'll do that yeah, I'll do that yeah and the kind of idea the idea that a, a teaching as a as a profession is more of like a lifestyle thing you mm-hmm. know you don't do it for the money that kind of thing 100% but also I think it's sometimes used for um, give them more like yeah, pile it on pile yeah. it on and they'll still just cope with it that kind of thing yeah and, and we've seen in recent years that that's just not the case. Yeah. And so things like inclusion are great, but they do need to be supported properly, I think, yeah. from the top. <laughs> yeah, you know? the top Yeah. Top down needs to be a, an approach. 100%. Okay, so we are joined now by our guest that we're going to be interviewing. I'm sure you will all have seen him on your social media. He's got dance moves that we definitely need some tips for because I have no idea how he does it. But Mr. G Teacher, aka Jamie, um, has very kindly agreed to come on and be interviewed. He is an expert in his field and definitely someone that we're looking forward to getting some uh, knowledge and information from. So thank you, Jamie, for joining us. I want to start by just kind of introducing yourself, telling us a little bit about your role and what it is you do. Yeah, so as you said, my my name is Jamie Gilbert and I teach children 
with social, emotional, and mental health needs. Um, so it's SEMH is, is is the type of children that I deal with on a daily basis. Um, I've been a teacher for ten years in be next September, um, and I've been leader since lockdown, which was very interesting. So I've I've been primary leader. Um, and that's when I actually started during COVID, um, which was probably one of the most testing times for leadership. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, so I've, I've, I'm an SMH primary teacher and also primary lead. So I am responsible for to directly line manage 15 staff and I've got 24 ch- SMH children on roll currently. Well, you've also got quite a social media following, following as well, which we're obviously yes. interested in because we just started that this year. How has that, well, first of all, how many followers have you actually got and how has that changed your life? Like, is there any big ways? Um, It it has, it has, in certain aspects. It's mainly to do with... Um, so, so I'll, I'll go back to the beginning. So, when it started, it was about two, it was about three years ago. I had I had a class, and two of my ADHD boys came in. I was like, Mister G, Mister G, have you seen this TikTok? And I was like, What on earth is TikTok? <laughs> um, so it was it was basically, basically it was it was a dance trend. So this was going back to the times of like Charlie D'Amelio and <laughs> and like when it when it, when it first really started to kick off. Um, and then I was I was just like. You know what? I'm doing like e-safety at the minute in, in computing. Why why don't I be clever? We'll we'll, we'll and do like a, a TikTok account where I can educate the kids how to be safe online, but we'll do it as a live thing. So we'll post a video and then we'll we'll work together on how do you deal with negativity and, and that type of thing. Um so obviously I, I went away, got all the various avenues of consent. So I needed like GDPR approval, I needed head teacher approval, and you obviously needed parental consent um to try to have the children feature in the video. So that's how it actually started. And we'll talk a bit later because we've have, have had a change and I have transitioned from from that into a more of a kind of a social influencer as well so we'll talk about that later but that is how it started yeah it and i thought you know what it's really hard to relate to children with social emotional mental health yeah. needs um because obviously past trauma and relationship building is is so massive in our field i thought if i can if i can like dance with the children it's going to mean loads to them and they're going to work harder for me and it's going to it's going to improve progress over like holistically and academically then why not yeah and the parents were super behind it head teacher was super behind it and then it wasn't until i think the, the one viral TikTok kind of blew it all up, <laughs> mm-hmm. pretty much, and that was when I done a backflip at school. <laughs> right, so that's all we need to yeah. do. Yeah. So <laughs> right, you're saying we need to learn a backflip, God. <laughs> but I that's mean, brilliant. you've so, touched on yeah. it there that relationships are absolutely just the heart of everything, aren't they? They are your oh, absolutely your foundations. They are everything, but especially. Yeah you know, in a kind of a general sense of a classroom, but obviously when you're speaking about the children that you're supporting, probably even more so, um, when you're talking about building that environment and that kind of inclusive environment, is there anything you mm. would, you know, we've we kind of reached out to some of our followers and a lot of the time they're asking that yeah. building of, of relationships and how you sort of manage and create that inclusive environment, is there anything you would recommend or anything you can suggest that would be a good way to, or a good place to start with that? So, yeah, so obviously when you get a new class in September, you don't know anything about the children. So the, the first thing I'll be doing, it's it's quite it's easier, it's easier for me because I, I typically have a class of six to eight children, predominantly all who have ADHD. 
So it's it's very it's a very different challenge. So it's it's not like 30, 35 children, mm. um, which is a challenge in itself. It's taking all your send kids from mainstream in a one setting. Mm-hmm. So that obviously pre- presents presents issues itself. But I would say initially it'll just be trying to get to know the children's likes and interests yep. and and then trying to incorporate that into the curriculum if you can, where you can. Um, and then just just in those kind of social times at break times, rather than just stand and having a cup of coffee on the yard with your, with your, with your colleagues, get out there, get involved with the children. We, I ask, we ask scaffold play all the time. So I'll play football with the, with the children. Um, I actually broke my ankle at school last <laughs> last term. Uh, not last term, sorry, last last spring. D- so that's another story. I did see you throwing a snowball at, at your uh, your your head teacher's window as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that that was that was in front of all the children. So we'll we'll encourage like snowball fights, as, uh, and but we'll we'll heavily scaffold all the rules yeah. and expectations around that. So the, the main the main thing I found with ADHD children is you need very firm boundaries. You need expectations. You need consistency and routine. Mm-hmm. It's so important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, like if, if if I'm absent, be, uh, when I'm absent, there'll have to be things in place to um, facilitate that because that change can be enough to trigger negative behaviour. Mm-hmm. So it'd be a case of trying to let the children know oh, I'm on a course tomorrow. Um, I've th- left you all your workers with this member of staff. I expect this, this, this and this. And if that happens, you will get this as an incentive. Yeah. So it's just, just in, term, in terms of relationship building, the first thing to understand is what are the children interested in? And then if they're not interested in anything, then I'll do a bit of, bit of digging into why, why that is. Yeah. So we were uh, just chatting before you came on <clears throat> about what the situation is in Scotland. So in Scotland, the kind of baseline is inclusion where, you know, most yeah. mainstream schools, uh, they try inclusion first and then if it doesn't work out, you go to a different setting. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what the case is uh, in England and that's thrown up a lot of challenges and a lot of good things as well. And so in a class of 33, you could have a lot of children with or neurodivergent uh, learners in your class. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we've come across quite a, a wide range, but we're not experts. <laughs> we certainly aren't in the, uh, in the sense that you are. So maybe just for anyone listening, could you explain... Mm-hmm briefly what ADHD actually is because I feel like a lot of people we hear it thrown about yeah, of course and it might not be yeah. explained very well I think it's very misunderstood as well isn't it it's one of those I think it sometimes has a negative connotation to it but it's not actually negative at all but a lot of the time it just has that sort of yeah. label attached doesn't it but yeah yeah so ADHD stands for attention deficiency hyperactive disorder um the, there was ADD as well which is attention deficit disorder and without the without the hyper hyperactivity as well so that would be like the kind of inattentiveness and going into like daydreaming but the type of children that i deal with i definitely have the hyperactivity yeah <laughs> um and that's why i'll, I'll do a lot of th- things to help that in terms of um things like movement breaks um sensory walks you know um football it, it, it can can be anything but yeah so that, that's what it is and it's it's a it's a lack of, it's a lack of dopamine. It's from a it's a it's effective gene basically, which helps to, which you have lower dopamine levels. Um, so that be might when a child will do like risky behaviour, or I don't know if you've encountered a child who was absconded before, like ran ran away from school. Yeah. <laughs> so that'll affect thing, things like that. Um, and normally, um, like an ADHD brain or someone who's faced with trauma, will have 
two that you'll have two responses fight or flight you've obviously probably came across this yeah. and a lot of our children choose to fight mm-hmm. um and that is that primary instinct and that goes goes back to dopamine um as as, as well and that obviously goes back to adhd as well Mm-hmm. And and you know you've mentioned there sometimes you get that kind of fight or flight behaviour, and sometimes yeah. if we go into that flight behaviour, our, our children do go into that kind of fight um, mode. There can be sometimes yeah. negative behaviours that come with that, you know. And absolutely, it's it's a challenge. But how do you kind of deal with those behaviours? I think there's been a big debate over you know restorative practice and all of that and people have their opinions on it but you can't kind of get around yeah. the fact they might happen so how do you ha- deal with them when 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 i when i first first started in primary there was this so this is about 10 years ago there was there was a myth that ADHD, adhd was considered a myth at one point even with in an smh school and i'm working with um children who have got adhd professionals um, it wasn't actually until the year 2000 that the NHS officially recognised ADHD. Wow. So if if you think all all of that time prior to 2000, so I, I can go back thinking, oh, that child in my class, he probably <laughs> probably, probably yeah. had uh, traits of ADHD. That child, I'm actually on the weight in this myself. Um, so you quite notice I'm, I'm quite bouncy. I'm, I'm quite hyperactive myself. I've been waiting now. Um, coming up four years. Wow! To, um, Just for an assessment to, to get to, to get my diagnosis. <laughs> yeah, so I've 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 been involved wow. in helping to diagnose numerous children. Yeah. I'm, I'm talking probably hundreds hundreds to probably the two a thousand children. So I've helped fill in. Uh, do you do you guys have CAMS in Scotland? Yeah, do you yeah. have like a similar service. Yeah, to, yeah, yeah. So I've 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 helped to provide CAMS with the evidence of this child needs the, the ADHD um, diagnosis, and then when I'm filling out these these reports, I'm thinking. I'm I'm hitting like 95% of these traits Um, and I'm very I'm very bubbly I'm very positive I'm very kind of hyperactive myself like when I'm teaching I don't I don't sit at my desk or sit now like I'm doing now I'm I'm up and around and I'm I'm constantly moving on my feet Um, and I'll I'll do I'll do things like uh, I've got, obviously got an interactive whiteboard and it can be magnetized onto the board. So I'll 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 be explaining something and I'll go and help a child and then I'll pick up their pencil and they'll be like, Mr. G, I need my pencil to work. I'm like, oh sorry, mate. Yeah. And it's just things 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 like that I've noticed over so, and I think, yeah, I've definitely um definitely got traits and will be interesting to, to mm. find out whether or not I I, I, I do have ADHD. Um because I think I'll be able to help help a lot of people if I do. Yeah. Um yeah, but either, either way, I'll be able to help a lot of people. Um and I'm cu- currently writing a book at the minute. I've just just signed a book deal. Wow. Um Amazing. which is going to f- which is going to follow um a diagnosis story that is based on a true event in my class. That's, so that's going to be pretty pretty cool. Keep the eyes peeled for that one. Yeah, absolutely. I saw something on uh, your TikTok, I think it was, or Instagram uh, recently, and I hadn't I hadn't come across it. Um, but you said that there's a shortage of medication or something in yeah. the world right now. What is the case, is. what is the ongoing case with that? It may not be the case when this episode comes out, <laughs> but uh, what what is the story with that? Can you fill us in a little bit? We don't we, we don't know what the actual cause is or, or what has caused this this um 
kind of national worldwide medication shortage we're quite lucky it has it has only hit a couple of children so far so we've got um like personalized timetables around those children and specific safety plans to and we're working very closely with the parent parents have been amazing um and in, in, in terms of understanding the emotions of the child and putting the child first and um, parents have been super supportive of this so it could be a case where we know a child's really really um dysregulated and we can make that decision and say look we're not gonna again we're not gonna get anything today um so we might might, might call, call the parent up and say um <laughs> we might do like a half day or you know, we might do like a, a like a reduced timetable, but we've just been kind of in, incorporating more movement right. into the lessons as well. Um, so a, a lot like you, you might, might have seen, I've been doing a lot of yeah. uh, move, movement videos yeah. at the minute. But the what I've what I've I have found a link between hyperactivity and muscle memory and dancing. Yeah. Okay. Um. So my hyperactive ADHD children, I'm able to teach them dance repetitive dance moves so like shuffling pretty easily um and i think i I don't know if it's to do with the hyperactivity but it's these i've got three boys who present very very similarly and they are picking up the dance moves ridiculously quick Mm -hmm. so i'll only do a movement break no longer than a minute okay so it'll be from recording it might might be a bit longer than that the time we're kind of settled down but it's we'll go through it together i should probably record the process because that's really powerful yeah, yeah i think that'd be um, really interesting. That would be. the process of actually make the process of actually making one is, is lovely to see we're like we're joking around we're laughing um and then we'll we'll, we'll watch after it and it's a sense of it's a sense of um to know a sense of kind of relief and they're just kind of just easing down when we're watching it so even that's kind of bringing bringing the child down from the movement break um just just the kind of reflection and, and watch watching the video and yeah taking it from there really but that definitely comes through and you know we're watching your videos you can tell that what you have is is genuine yeah with students and you can tell that you know, you are doing this for all of the right reasons and these movement breaks. And it's something that we've kind of briefly touched on this before you came on to the episode and you touched on earlier that when we were at school, it was very much, you have to sit and you have to listen. You have to, it was very kind of authoritarian and probably Absolutely, not yeah. ideal. Well, actually, definitely not ideal for, for so most learners. Um, yes. Yeah, I've just, just realised I haven't even answered your question there. Oh. Um <laughs> So that's the ADHD yeah, that it is. We, we were, yeah, that, exactly. That's another thing. And and interrupting you there, that's another key trait. So yeah, um, yeah. So we were like we were very assertive. ADHD was a myth, um, and it wasn't until I, I think I was in, in it was back in as an NQT back then, a new newly qualified teacher. It wasn't until then when I had an unmedicated child come in that I was like, Phew, ADHD is definitely real." Yeah. Um, he, this this lad was bouncing off the walls. I mean, I tried everything to try and bring him down, and nothing worked. All my strategies, nothing worked. And I was just like, "Oh yeah, this is definitely real." So we we were trained pretty much in an, uh, quite an assertive approach. Um, but now we've tr- we've transitioned, particularly when when I've been leading to more of Dan Hughes' pace approach. Um, I don't know if you're you're aware of that. No, I don't. Uh, no, I think it's one that we're using just now. <laughs> 
So PACE is, stands for playfulness, acceptance, curiosity, and empathy, and it's an approach to behaviour. So that the, the first thing, um, if a child if a child's out of class or dysregulated, will play a game within reason, and try and distract them that way. Then we'll accept the behaviour. Um, so I deal a lot with and like surface behavior so try to dig deeper than the surface behavior behavior is a form of communication yeah. so what is that child actually telling you and um, so we we've got a, a role at school which is super important called a link worker and that member of staff's role is to provide a link from homes to school yeah so she'll she'll um text she'll ring me in the morning and say look um like this dad has had an awful night he hasn't had his breakfast then as a result we'll tailor our practice in the morning yeah. so i'll be like right i'll just say joe joe blogs right joe i know we've had no breakfast or anything mate um what would you like oh can i have some toast mr j yeah of course can and it's it's, it's something as simple as that meeting like that basic yeah. needs but having that level of communication and that input from home we can t tailor our practice and we can accommodate the needs of our child better. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the, the PACE approach is, is something that's probably not really made its way to Scotland as of yet, but I can recognise kind of things within that, what you're saying that we yeah. that we sort of go for and the whole, yeah. um, one of our main things we focus on right now in our authority and our school is that all behaviour is communication. And I think that is definitely sort of a route into understanding a little bit more mm. and trying to get out of the idea of, you said it at the start of this episode that when we were at school, it was very much, oh, that child is just being cheeky or that child is yeah, just or, misbehaving. Or, or yeah. 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 So you said Absolutely. a really key word there, which is maybe not in my vocabulary, but maybe should be. You said the three boys present the same, which I find quite interesting. Yeah. So can you just dig into that a little bit, what you mean by present the same? Because what you're saying is you've got three boys there with ADHD, but they're presenting differently or they're presenting the same. So you're saying there's different traits for different people, which might make it a little bit more tricky Absolutely. for teachers. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. ADHD is, is, every ADHD child is different in their own way. Um, you can have similar traits as in like hyperactivity um, or impulsivity, you know, um, but they, yeah, it is, there's such a like broad range um, and you can use what, you could use a strategy one day and it might not work the next. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's, it's about, un, it's about understanding that individual and just having like a catalog of uh, things that you can try to de-escalate yeah. de behavior. And there's your office um, oh, sorry. <laughs> That's me interrupting you now, sorry, <laughs> you go for it. <laughs> <laughs> What one of the main things that we teach children is to use their words, use use that tell us when there's a problem, mm -hmm. um, and us blokes are terrible at this. <laughs> we'll bottle everything up and not talk about our emotions. So I'll make a point of role modeling this to children. Um, it, it could it could be a thing that's something like I've got a meeting a day. It could be something that's. Um, like dysregulated me, but I'll use like an example and say like, oh, I'm going to regulate myself mm -hmm. and I'll teach the children lots of like self-regulation mm -hmm. um, exercises. One of the, the first things I implemented as leader um, of primary was to, to add a new subject into our curriculum. So I noticed that we teach children with social, emotional, mental health um, difficulties, yet we don't teach the children about 
um, these mental health difficulties yeah. or these social and emotional difficulties. So I every Friday we do an SEMH lesson. Right. Um, so it, 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 so every Friday and then each each term will be a different theme. Um, and one of the themes is SEMH studies. So we'll study key key things linked to SEMH, such as ADHD, um, ESC, you know, um, oppositional defiance disorder, dyslexia, dyspraxia, and any any anything that our children present, we will educate around that, and I'll teach them about the ADHD brain. I'll t teach them things that have, and strategies to to cope and manage. Mm -hmm. Um, and things better, if they can better understand their brain, it's not going away. This is their brain, mm -hmm. it's not going to change. So if I can educate and help around that, um, I think that needs to be a key part of the, our, especially our curriculum. Yeah. But even, even though that general understanding, so um, I've taught, I've talked about like autism before to like ADHD children. And then they've been like, oh, is that, was that why he does that and that? I'm just like, yeah, mm -hmm. it is. And like, oh, I didn't know that. So we, I think sometimes we make the assumption that um, like the children kind of know why they're at our provision. Whereas I'll actually, if, if you if you went into my school and say, what, what's SMH in a primary? Every child will tell you what it is. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I think that that was missing before that. Yeah. Children didn't know what ADHD was. They didn't know um, what hyperfocus is. We'll talk about that a bit later. That's fascinating. And it's just kind of it's just educating them around that, yeah. Because they, 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 like, like I say, their brain isn't going to change. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, we um, with some of the learners that we've come across, we were speaking about this earlier that children are far more empathetic than we give them credit for. They tend to just get on with things once they know about something, and yeah. that's the issue, isn't it? When you were saying there, if they don't know, then they make fun or they or they have a laugh or a joke mm -hmm. about it tends to be, or my experience has been that when my class knows about certain things, they start to, you know, be more empathetic, show mm -hmm. more kindness, accept that thing. And mm. whatever it is, whether it's a, a tick or whether it's a behavior or, or whatever it is, they tend to do this. I'm interested to know what you think um, the future of all of this is, because we've kind of come a long way in the last, what were we saying, 10, mm. 20 years since 2000. Do we have a long way yeah. to go? Do we have, you know, room to grow here or are yeah. we at our capacity or what do you think? No, I think, I think there's definitely room for growth, um, in, in terms, in terms of knowledge. Um, I've been working with the DFE to raise awareness of the SMH curriculum because it's a, it's a brand of, of, of sense, special educational need that often people don't know about. Yeah. Um, and there's, that's 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 so much more um, we can be doing, and I th there's there's little little short things that we, we could be doing in mainstream. I think that would help as well. Like I think all schools would benefit from an SMH curriculum where you're looking at, like it could be, it could be like thirty minutes, could be an assembly, um, where we'll get we're getting more under we're getting more understanding mm -hmm. towards the neurodivergent learner because. Mm -hmm. um, because because we're starting to identify and recognize um like adhd and, and things sooner that's this, this is only going to increase in the future mm -hmm. it's not going to slow down um so it could it could it could be just little little things in the classroom like having a visual timetable yeah straight away um like little things like that so in in my classroom now which is it's pretty much set up for 
most styles of for the average like for a newer newer divergent learner so i have um i've got like a reading corner and i've put my within my reading corner i've got like a human dog bed so that's for two reasons that that can be used by a child who needs to go there to, to kind of de-escalate and for self-regulation activities but it's also I've actually just had it as a bed as well so I've had children come in and sleep in it yeah yeah and they'll be like why are you letting a child sleep and I'll be like well it's because of this 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 and this and I'm actually in terms of the Haslow hierarchy of needs yeah. I'm actually meeting his basic yeah. need um so, so things I've got got that, that in place I'm trying to think what else I've got. I've got a flexible desk. I know that they're not not easy to to come by, but that's <laughs> that's just. But you can still put alternative seating. Yeah, you can use, seating in. use what you can. I it's, think I'm using you know, stools at the minute. You can be, <laughs> like little ones yeah, to steps to get be, to the you, sink. <laughs> you can be creative, creative in your areas. Yeah, and you know you've kind of you've touched on. There's a long way to go. There absolutely is, and there's a lot that we could be doing and. It's interesting you're talking about, I, I don't know if what the situation is in the curriculum with England, but certainly in Scotland, our kind of health and well-being um, curriculum encompasses sort of social and mental and physical, like all, all aspects. Um, and that's down as responsibility of all um, in Scotland. So literacy and numeracy and health and well-being are responsibility of all. So it's not like, you know, the teacher, the maths teacher doesn't need to think about all these things. It's, it's the responsibility of everyone. Mm. Um, but there's obviously, there's so many positives to teaching students who are neurodivergent. They have so many talents and skills that mm. I think quite Absolutely. often we don't explore those, you know, like enthusiasm and creativity. They're, they're all there. Um, and it's always good to finish on a kind of positive note. So in terms of your role and your job and working with these wonderful learners, what would you say is the kind of highlight, the, the things that keep you in this job and be you're obviously extremely passionate about it so so what would you say are the kind of highs for you um, I think the I think the humor and the banter with a newer diversion child is something something that can't be replaced um but just 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 seeing holistic and academic progress as well especially especially holistic progress when a child is making progress in themselves mm -hmm. that's that, that's pretty powerful um, I've had parents ring me up and say you've changed a child my child's life that was well wow. that was pretty powerful um but the the main the main thing the main kind of instant um like satisfaction and when I feel kind of intrinsically rewarded is when a child refuses to do a piece of work and I'm like right okay. <laughs> I, I love I love that um because I'm going to be like I'm going to get that child to do that work yeah and I'm going to use all these strategies and just at the end of like I'll um, when my mum come, come through it and the child say completed that piece of work and we give like a little like fist pump or a high five it's that lamb type of little wins um, that kind of add up so yeah I don't know I wouldn't I just I just think in, in general it's a it's a fantastic setting setting to work in um, the, the staff are amazing and the ch children are absolutely fascinating some of some of these neurodivergent children are unbelievable and it's an absolute privilege and honor to be able to represent and work with them and i'm going to do everything i can to raise awareness of this fantastic job i mean yeah thank you. It's a okay, lovely i feel like i could go and take on the world now it's like a lovely way to kind of to, to finish this i mean it's it is extremely it's so fascinating the, the work you do it's definitely something that 
I think it's going in the right direction, but there's yeah. there's a long way to go with things, especially in, in mainstream Absolutely, skills. So yeah. thank you for this, because I'm sure it'll be extremely insightful for our listeners, and the, it was definitely insightful for us. It was interesting, a lot of things you were saying we'd kind of touched on before you came on, but we weren't sure how to sort of put it into to words, yep. essentially. So you've come on and yeah. explained to us what we were sort of thinking as well, which has been um, incredible. No problem. If you ever wanted to do another one, because we're going to we'll probably talk for hours, us, um, just let, let us know in the future. Yeah. So happy Definitely. We would whatever. love to have you back because I think that was only, we kind of touched on the surface of things, but it'd be great to have you back if you'd be willing to give us yeah. some more of your time because it's. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's completely fine. Very appreciated. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Inside Voices. Make sure to come back next week where we'll be talking all about how to prepare for your NQT year and your first year's teaching. And remember that in here, we use our Inside Voices.